Well, good morning again. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. We are in a slow crawl through uh, these early chapters of the book of Philippians. We're going to look at verses 5 through 8 today. Last week, uh, we looked at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, and a call to humility. Now, you know, one of the challenges of a preacher is to know where to break uh, your your messages, and, and you try to look for, or I try to look for natural breaks and breaks in the scripture, and, and in the original transcripts, uh, verses one through four are one long sentence, and so it seemed to me a fitting place to break it, and uh, last week, Clayton, if you would put that slide up with our definition, last week we worked on a little bit of a definition I presented to you, some maybe a little clunkier form of it than this. But we saw that humility is right at the center of verses 1 through 4 and and really is what bleeds out of this entire passage in Philippians chapter 2. So here was the little definition I gave you of Christian humility. It's a personal willingness, okay, a willingness. That is that, that we're aware of, that in our minds and our hearts, we're ready, we're prepared to do something, to be something. So humility is this personal willingness and preparedness to be an empty vessel, to be used by God for his purposes towards the world that he created and loves. So we said that humility has an upward look. It's, it's I'm ready, Lord. I, I want to be a part of what you're doing. So we humble ourselves before God and say, let me be a part. Use me in your eternal purposes. And then we find out that immediately God wants us to be a part of loving the world that he has created, and especially in saving ways. So that is foundational to what we'll talk about today and understanding this passage and letting it change us. I thought about, you know, how easy it is to say, you know what? We should all be humble. And sometimes I think you might as well tell people, we should all be unicorns or whatever. You know, it doesn't happen just by saying it. There is a process and there are things that the scriptures would show us. But I would say that as we avail ourselves and give ourselves to the Lord as an empty vessel, we're not filling ourselves up in our own power, but we're saying, God, as we empty ourselves before you, do this in us. Use us by your grace and by your power. Fill us up to be a part of what you're doing. So let's look at Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. We'll read them together now. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Let's begin now looking at just verse 5 for a moment. And what we see in verse 5 is a church attitude adjustment instructed. A church attitude adjustment is instructed here. Verse 5 is the linchpin between 1 through 4 and 6 through 11. So here is what he's telling the church to do. Here is the key critical piece. Have this mind or mindset or way of thinking. 
Have this attitude, some translations say. Phroneo is the word. Have this understanding in you. Have this disposition. Have this way about you. Here's a great one of, of a way of translating phroneo is have this intention or purpose in your life. That's what he's saying. Have this attitude, mindset, intent, or purpose about you. Last week, we saw there were all kinds of wrong attitudes and actions that Paul says, this should not be what you are. You should not be selfish and self-absorbed, self-consumed. You should not have conceit over vain or empty things. Don't be proud. Don't have that way of thinking. And so in that, we heard a call to cultivate concern for other people. And here we begin to see how that really happens. It requires a change in our thinking. One of the beauties of being human is we can change our minds. I tend to change mine probably more than most, you know, and sometimes I feel a little blown in the wind, but we can change our mind and we can change, have this mind. But when we think about someone's disposition or attitude, it, it really is, this becomes a settled way of being. That you're coming into this with the notion of, I want God to change me. I realize that this is really day in and out how I need to be and who I need to be. So have this mind or attitude. And then he says, in yourselves. Now, it's really easy to hear this as an individualistic command. Have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. But actually, that's not what it says. Have this mind or attitude in yourselves. That is actually a plural pronoun, in yourselves. He's not just talking to a bunch of individuals. He's talking to a collective group. He's talking to a church. Have this mind in yourselves. In other words, you could read it or hear it as, be sure that in your church, this is the culture or the atmosphere that is pervading and prevailing in that place. You probably think or know that I have lost my mind over the last couple of weeks, right? Someone said, last week, you're talking about superheroes and superpowers and kryptonite. And this week, the, the title of the message is Good Christian Vibes. And you're going, man, what is up with this guy? There are people that have tried and tried to get me to change the title of the message this week, but I'm sticking with it. Good Christian Vibes is what, to me, emanates out of this passage. And it actually came to me as I was just sitting there in my chair. I'd been reading this over and over and over again, thinking about what, what help me, Lord, think about this in a different way besides the words that are here. But what, you know, give me a different way of thinking about it or saying it or understanding it. And I was reflecting on the call for the church to come together with this same mind or attitude towards one another. And Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, have this kind of disposition and way about you. Have this in the air that you breathe there in the church. Or as the hippies used to say, have this vibe in your church. Among you as Christians, when you get together and everything that you do as your church, have this kind of of vibe among you. And I feel like I probably should uh, define vibe because I've been told that that could mean various things to different groups. If you look up vibe, it's just a, a word that means the atmosphere or the feeling that is communicated among a group of people or in a place. That's all that vibe means. It's the attitude. It's the, it's the feel of a place. It's the energy 
Some might say, we're not talking about new age. We're just saying, what does it feel like? When I come in, have you ever thought about what it feels like for a person who's a stranger? Maybe they don't know anything about Jesus. They don't know anything about the the church in the South or about Southern Baptists or about Valley Springs. Just a total stranger. They walk into this place and don't know anybody, don't know about our routines and our, our, our uh, things that we always do or used to do or, or thinking about doing. They know nothing. What do they feel when they come into this place? What is conveyed to them? Do they feel tension? Do they see it all over our faces? What do they feel? And, and, and I think it's a great question to ask. Or do they come in and, and the vibe is one of peace and love? and gladness, and joy, and care, and concern for one another. The church at Philippi was struggling in that regard. They were fighting in and amongst themselves. They were scared. They were full of fear. They were anxious. What is the vibe of FBCVS? Well, I know what it should be. A humble love and concern for one another. Brandon's been saying for the last several weeks over and over to me, man, God is moving. Haven't you been saying that? True story. God is moving. And sometimes, you know, you just go, well, yeah, I mean, maybe. But more and more, I actually sense and believe that God is moving in our church, among the people in our community, but in a little bigger swath, he is working. I think there are actually stirrings that God is stirring hearts and people. Some of you have heard about this uh, revival being called a revival. Some people say, well, maybe a little bit of awakening. We won't know if it's a true revival till we see the fruit of it. But there is what people are calling a revival stirring at Asbury College in Kentucky. Y'all, have y'all seen this? I'm, I'm sure you've heard about it. And I'll tell you, I've, different places I'm going, I'm seeing not just Christian people stirring. There is a larger stirring. I read a a study today, I think it was Barna had done, and and, and one of the things that they're seeing right now is they say that there is a spiritual openness and searching in our country in a way that we have not seen in a long, long time. Something to the effect of like 9 out of 10 people are saying they are open to spiritual things and wondering what in the world God is up to, and they want to draw closer to God. In this revival, this thing that's going on in Kentucky, you know what it's marked by? One of the biggest marks of revival is humbling ourselves. That's actually what begins to happen. People, first of all, humbling themselves before God. And in that, there becomes this openness and this atmosphere, and and people describe it as an energy. Maybe no one else has said it's a vibe, but it's a vibe. Oh, man, God is stirring and our hearts are wide open and our arms are open and people get saved. People get right with one another and with the Lord. Actually, this Thursday, and I can't give you all the details because we don't have it. This is just something that has, has emerged. Uh, North Arkansas Baptist Association just voted to purchase the old Eagle West property over on Goblin Drive. It's across from the high school and, and they're being temporarily housed out of there. And this is going to be a ministry center um, for our association. Well, this Thursday coming up is the National Collegiate Day of Prayer. Interestingly, in God's providence, 
and it's been scheduled for a long, long time, there's going to be a simulcast going on, so a live broadcast going out to all kinds of places on this National Collegiate Day of Prayer, and it's going to be simulcasted from Asbury College, where this revival is going on. And so David Graham and I and some others have been talking about, let's, let's actually, there at that new center at, uh, at, uh, over on Goblin Drive, the old Eagle West, let's broadcast that in and just invite Christians in our area. And, and, and specifically, we want to invite the young people uh, college, high school, but also adults, if you have some interest in being a part of that simulcast, uh, again, not sure what it's going to look like, but I know it's this. It's from 7 to 9 o'clock this Thursday. We'll probably open the doors up around 5.30 or 6 for prayer and things like that. There will be uh, different rooms that you can fellowship in, but the broadcast will be going from 7 to 9. And our heart's desire and our purpose is for us to come together across our church lines, across generational lines, and just come together and hear about what God is doing there, but also to seek that the Lord would do something here like he's doing there, to bring the flames of revival to us. And we're going to be praying for our local college campus, North Art College, as well. So if you want to be a part of that, I'd love you to be a part of that. Again, I know it's from 7 to 9 probably be more like from six till you're ready to go so that is this thursday but there are these rumblings of revival but that will not come to a people and to a place unless we're ready i believe to humble ourselves before the lord and i wonder could revival really come could get could we actually live in continuous revival, in this state of spiritual fire. I think that is the biblical norm, actually. Unfortunately, we've become very comfortable with subpar Christianity, myself included. I think the norm is to live close to the Lord in this humbled state and see what he would do. In the book of Acts, the early book of Acts, you have continuous, ongoing revival among humble people. The last time that America has seen what has been widely perceived and called revival was back in the 1970s. It was a movement that many call the Jesus movement. Are y'all familiar with that? Were any of y'all Jesus freaks? That's what they called them. Jesus people. Nobody, nobody's going to admit to that. All right. So back in the 60s, 70s, and it went on to the 80s, it was mostly out on the West Coast. What was going on in the 70s? Sex, drug, and rock and roll, man. That's what was going on. Hippies. It was a hippie movement. And actually, in that hippie culture, where people had departed, these young people had departed from the cultural norms and acceptabilities and all of that kind of thing, people learned about Jesus and accepted Jesus. And they didn't know they weren't supposed to be on fire, and they just went around telling others about Jesus. There was this Jesus movement, and it rocked the church. It rocked the church. Interestingly, when you study revivals and big works of God in our nation, you know where it primarily launches out of? Colleges and among young people. That's usually where it begins, and such it was in the Jesus movement. And in fact, we're seeing that very same kind of thing there at Asbury College. Another thing that's interesting this week there is a movie being released called The Jesus Revolution. Have you all heard about that? 
the Jesus Revolution. I'm actually going to show you. I, I don't know if I should do this or not, so I'm not going to do it. Clayton's going to do it. Clayton, I want you to show them this trailer. This is called the Jesus Revolution, and I want you to watch it for these two minutes. I want you to try to pick out this idea of is the church going to humble itself before God and be a part of what God is doing. Let's watch that little trailer. These people are hippies, rebels against old-fashioned authority. I think these kids need help. They need is a bear. You're passing judgment on people you know nothing about. Maybe that's why your church is so empty. When God walks in here, brings me a hippie. I'll ask him what it's all about. Because I do not understand. His house has a very good vibe. There is an entire generation searching. Just in all the wrong places. If you want to reach my people, you need to speak to them in a language they understand. If I bring them in, I'm going to lose my job. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. You've probably noticed we have some guests here today. I'd like you to meet my new friends. Welcome. They don't belong here. Half of them aren't even wearing shoes. They're staining the new shag carpet. They need our help. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. That was awesome. Now that door is open any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door works both ways. All right, Pastor, let's begin. I was almost done with this, but then you did what nobody else would even dare. This thing that we found, I feel like I belong. You're going to need a bigger church. Our country is a dark and divided place, but now there's hope and it's spreading. This is your home, and I want you to tell all your friends about it. This is not a paid advertisement. I don't get any remuneration from showing that. You know, the Jesus movement, the Jesus movement was, was really an amazing thing. Sure, there was probably some, some uh, false things and things that came out of it. But uh, God was doing something. And you saw there that that's in part a true story about uh, the story of Chuck Smith, who was a pastor at Cal- Calvary Chapel, which was a dead and dying church. And these hippies came in, and they were stuck with the idea of, do we accept and embrace and humbly open ourselves up to what God is doing? Even amongst the people that don't look like us and smell like us, you heard they need a bath, right? These people, they didn't know what the church was supposed to be. And Chuck Smith and that church decided they would open up their hearts to these new brothers and sisters and be a part of what God was doing. And if you've ever heard of Calvary Chapel, and that is that church of Chuck Smith, one of the people that is portrayed in here is Greg Laurie. How many of y'all know about Greg Laurie who's on the radio, preaches Billy Graham crusades and all that? Greg Laurie was converted out of being a dope-smoking hippie as he came in to the church. And God did something. Jesus did something. 
something. What if the revival stirrings began to spill over and came here? Would we humble ourselves before God? And I'll tell you, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, actually. I think humbling ourselves before the Lord together could actually be quite painful in many ways. But would we humble ourselves and be a part of what God is doing? Would we adjust our schedules? Would we leave our comfort zones? If God called us out to go to people like the hippies, people who were involved in all kinds of sexual deviance and drugs and alcohol and they had broken lives, if he called us out into that, would we leave our comfortable setting and go? I wonder if we're ready I wonder if we have the attitude, the mindset, and the frame of life and purpose that we are to have as a Christian church that's built on a humble embrace of God's mission. So we need to look at this. This is key, verses 6 through 8. The humble actions and attitude of Christ illuminated the humble attitude and actions of Christ illuminated. It says in verse six, so here's what he says. Have this same mind and attitude and way of being and disposition and purpose that Jesus had, the same one that Jesus had. We have the mind of Christ. We're called into the mind of Christ and he begins to open up what's in the mind of Christ to us and it's a beautiful thing. Look at verse six. Jesus, though he existed equal in essence and form with God, that is, Jesus before the incarnation was eternal, he is eternal, he is God, that is the Christian teaching, he was equal with God. But he didn't seize that high place. He didn't cling to his high place and high position tightly. Jesus had nothing to be humble or lowly about. When we think of humble, we think about uh, uh, someone who's downtrodden or oppressed. They don't have as much, so they're humble, right? They have every reason to be humble because of their position in life. But Jesus occupied the highest imaginable place in heaven and in earth, the place of God. He lacked nothing. He had everything, and yet... His disposition, his way, his mindset was humility. Mm. And so rather than kicking back in his heavenly easy chair, Jesus did something. He embraced the mission of God. So he did not cling to his comfort and his high position. Look at verse 7 and see how he embraced God's redemptive mission. He let loose of his high place. It says in verse 7 that he emptied himself. This is sometimes called the kenosis passage. It's the emptying. He poured himself out. He gave up willingly his high place and his security and his position. Are we ready to empty ourselves? Even if it means giving up something that we deserve or have earned. Are we like that? That's humility in action. And he steps down. He descends. He comes down from his high place. He wasn't forced down. He was forced down only by his love. He knew the will of God was to save wretched and broken and lost people in this world. 
And he embraced that mission. And he comes down, he steps down, he descends, and he takes on what? The form of a servant, bond servant, doulos, is actually, if you remember all the way back to January, when we found out that our identity as Christians is as a servant dash saint. We are servant saints. Servant is the same word here. Jesus was a servant. Paul was a servant. Christians are called to serve. Look at the mind of Christ. He takes on the form of a bond servant. In other words, he says, I'll go down. I will leave my high place and I will go down to this broken people to serve the purposes of God. And he comes in the likeness of a man. He takes on flesh and he steps into our broken world and situation. He takes on a body that is given over to disease and sickness and pain just like ours. He comes into a world where his family was impoverished and all of those things that we experience. He took on the form of a servant. That is humility, but it's not over yet. It says he doesn't just take on a servant form and human flesh. In his humanity, he further humbles himself, verse 8, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, he's embraced God's missionary purpose in the world. He steps down from his secure and high position in heaven. He takes on the form of a servant, takes on human flesh, and even goes all the way. Because of his obedience to God and God's will, he goes all the way to a cross. That is the lowest imaginable place. It is a humiliating, shameful, scornful, painful death that he endured. The cross was a death sentence. You understand that. Everybody here, you know what the cross is, right? He hung there naked and spat upon and stabbed and took all of that willingly out of his humility and his love for you and for me. Jesus knew something. He knew that God could be trusted. He knew God's plans were ultimately good. Even when he came to the garden and that moment when he looked forward to the cross and he recoiled in his flesh at the things that were to come. But the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that this is the wisdom of God. The cross was the wisdom and a mystery of God. It's something that God was doing that the rulers of this age had no idea Hey, listen, Satan and his minions had no idea. They did not understand that the cross was going to be the very tool and the means God would use to save sinners. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if they had known that, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And in fact, it says that the cross was predestined by God for our glory before the ages. That is what Jesus willingly went to for you and for me. That's the mind of Jesus. The mind of Jesus is I love these people so much and I trust God and his will and his mission. I want to be a part of it. And so he gives himself fully to that. That is the Christian gospel. That Jesus came to do what? To die. Why would he die? The Bible says this. This is about as clear and simple as you can get to bring us to God. 
Why did Jesus go to the cross? To bring us to God. To take us to the place that he had once occupied and he wanted us to be there with him. And so he came on a rescue mission for us. That is amazing that Jesus did that for us. Now listen, Philippians chapter 2. Think about the Philippian church. They are struggling. They are suffering. It has been granted to them to suffer for Christ's sake. And so they're struggling with the idea of why am I suffering for Jesus? Number one, you're not trotting a new path. When Christians face opposition and hatred and persecution, it is not a brand new path. It is something that Jesus is laid out for us. We're walking the same path in our day that Jesus walked in his day for the redemptive purposes and the mission of God to save sinners. The last thing I think we need to do with this passage is to consider that it is an invitation to a cross-shaped life. Now, Next week, we're going to look at the exaltation. This week, the humiliation of Jesus as he goes from the highest place to the lowest place. Next week, we're going to see that God does a reversal of fortunes and that he actually exalts Jesus to the highest place. And that is the ark of life. That is the ark of life in Christ. We're going to see that. But first, we have to humble ourselves. We have to reckon with this passage. It's not just a theological treatise on the goodness of Jesus. It is, verse 5, have this same mind among yourselves. Have this same thing going on in the church. A bunch of humble people who embrace even suffering for the mission of God, who are willing to give up their security and their money and their stuff and their comfort to embrace the mission of God, to save sinners. All right? So it's an invitation in the cross-shaped life. The revered reformer, Martin Luther. Have you all heard of the Protestant Reformation? You know, Martin Luther was one of the uh, key figures in that. 1539, he writes this treatise called On the Councils and the Church. He says there are seven marks of the true church. Seven marks of the true church. And it's the seventh that I think is most interesting that is omitted in our day. He says the true church possesses the word of God, rightly administers baptism, rightly administers the Lord's Supper, exercises church discipline, has qualified leadership. They have worship that is characterized by prayer and thanksgiving. That is six. And one we never hear about today very much anyway is the seventh Christian's who live lives shaped by the cross. He said that is a key mark of the true church. It is Christians who live the cross-shaped life. What does the life of the cross look like? Well, there is pain in it. There is sacrifice. And yes, there at times is suffering. I forget who said this, but I thought it was a beautiful thought. He said, people who wear a cross identify themselves as Christians. People who bear their cross prove that they are Christians. When we are willing to give up our comfort, our reputation, our high place, our position, our security, because we know that we're secure in Christ, 
we know that nothing in this life can separate us from the love of God. (laughs) That creates a force to be reckoned with. That creates a vessel that is emptied for God's use and his purposes in our day. But we fill our vessels with so many things. So many things. But the way of humility does not cling tightly. Listen, listen, that word picture comes out of the kenosis passage where Jesus did not, he did not seize power and position, but he opened his hands to God and said, hey, I'm willing to give this up for the bigger thing. I'm willing to go down there and step down and descend into that place and take on the form of a servant to do your will. That is the mind that a Christian is to have individually. And then that is to be the culture, the atmosphere, the energy, the vibe, whatever you like to call it, of the church. A bunch of humble people who love God and love one another and take on the apron, pick up the towel in the wash basin and are willing to step down off their platform to a low place, to a lowly place, to a people in darkness, a people who are hurting, a people who need a touch from the Lord, a people who need someone to come alongside and say, man, you are loved. God loves you just like he loves me. To come alongside people who are mourning the loss of a loved one and just to sit with them and cry. I was talking to a guy. I've got time for this little quick story as we prepare for our invitation. I was talking to a guy this week that lost um, his daughter in a train accident. She was she was run over by a train. And he began to tell me all of the suffering and things like that. And it was just a heartbreaking deal. And I'm just sitting there. And this was not, I was not in a, my pastoral role. I didn't have my pastor's hat on. Though he knew I was a pastor. And he just began to open his heart and talk about this. And he said this. He said, I said, man, I'm, I bet that was really tough. He said, you know, and I don't think he's a Christian. I don't think so. I don't, I don't know that. He said, you know what one of the hardest things was? lives in a little small community up in Missouri. He said one of the hardest things was people that we know and, and, and went to school with and have cheered at ball games and, and, and we love and they're our friends. When they would see us in the grocery store or wherever after this happened, you know what they did? They turned and went to the next aisle to avoid us because they didn't know what to say. And he said that hurt about as much as anything. And I just thought about how unwilling we are as humans to get off of our busy schedule. Hey, right right here, man. And take time for people. And to get involved in the mess of people's lives. And honestly, I'm sitting there and I'm going, not sure what to say to this guy. Not sure what to say, but you listen. And you console. And you bring the heart and the love and the spirit of God into situations that no one else wants to go into. That's what God has called the church to be. Different. There should be something different about us than about Walmart or the school or the club or the thing that you go to week day in and day out. There should be something different when people come in here. I say, man, those people, they care about me. 
They extend the love of Christ. They love one another. That is the kind of mind that we are to have. And I'll tell you what I think it takes. First of all, is probably it takes a, a bit of repentance. And so I asked Mike to just prepare a song that would be a, a good song for us to listen to, to reflect on, to pray through, so that we would just have some time to think about our high-mindedness and our haughtiness and just give that up to the Lord. To just humble ourselves and begin to empty our vessels so that the Lord could fill us up and use us in this day. Do y'all want to see revival? Do y'all want to see God do something in your family, in your workplace, in this community? I do too. And I think he's up to something. You know that old song, Do Not Pass Me By? I think the revival and the spark and the work of the Lord can easily bypass a church. Because our doors aren't open, our hearts aren't open. I believe that with all my heart. And he'll save people out on the Pacific Ocean who are smoking dope and listening to groovy music. He can save people, but he wants us to be a part. He wants to use us, his church. He doesn't want to pass us by. Revival actually begins in the church with Christians who have the mind of Christ and the mission of God as the foremost priority of their hearts. So Mike, with this song, he's just going to begin to sing. And uh, this is just a time to pray, to humble yourselves. If you want to come to the steps here and kneel and pray, if you want to go and pray with somebody, whatever you want to do in this time, to begin to open the door of your heart, the dispositions and attitudes and patterns of the mind, and let go the prideful and vain conceited things let go of the bitterness give it up to the Lord hey maybe there's something in your life that you're clinging on to that you know the Lord is displeased with he's called you to give it up to open your hands to him open your hands open your hands Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Where Jesus is calling Oh come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with Flesh blood of Jesus Christ Behind the sticks, come to use your reason to wait. 
Anyone that's here today that uh, has never trusted Christ, you don't know that your eternity is secure, that as far as you know, if you were to die today, you would be lost, separated from God. You know that your life is not marked by the touch of God, by the saving hand of Jesus. Jesus came to save sinners, and we're all sinners came for you. He died for you to save you. He calls you to believe in him, to trust him. He is the name above every name. He is the eternal son of God. He is the only one that can save and deliver you. Bow the knee to Jesus. Come to him and be saved today. If you'd like to talk with me more about that, I'd love to visit with you about following Jesus so that you could make that known, that you could become one of Jesus' people and come into his church, be a brother and sister with his people. Father, I pray today that you would continue to do a work in this nation, that as the fires of revival are burning there at Asbury, that you would save and glorify your name that you would save sinners, that you would bring healing where it is needed. But Lord, we want to see that here. Pray that you would bring your mighty power, the winds of your spirit, afresh and anew into our community, into our church, in our homes, and into our hearts. Lord, we want to burn brightly for you. The very purposes of our life to revolve around this rescue mission that Jesus came to accomplish. So help us in our day be willing to open our hands, open our hearts, open our lives, lay down the things that are not useful and to pick up the mantle of Jesus. Lord, help us to be ready 
to be a part of what you're doing. Fill us. Fill us up. As we empty ourselves of ourselves. Lord, humble us. Father, we pray for the young people in our community. There at our college and in our local schools that we know are racked by all sorts of doubts and fears and confusion. I pray that you would continue to do the work that you're doing in the schools to help this generation find the love of Christ. Revive your church, Lord. Revive us. We want to see you high and lifted up. We want to see you do something that would change the culture. Lord, we want to be a part of what you're doing in this day. So we humble ourselves before you today. We open our clenched hands. We put on the shoes of gospel peace. We're ready, Lord. We're ready to see you work. And God, I pray today that First Baptist Church of Valley Springs, that we would be a humble, happy, joyful Christian people on mission with you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.